This is Jim Wills, and you are listening to the Crave Magazine Podcast, where we feed your soul with art. And let the beat control your body. Some magic. Some raw nerve. The sole secret to success in the art world is to keep making art. Live the moment and go on vacation as much as possible because you never know when the work's coming. Do the best work that you, that you can and put it out there where people can see it. Enjoy yourself. Do what you want to do and travel. Do what you love with as much passion as you have. And let the beat control your body. All right, this week on the podcast, I have a uh, wonderful friend of mine, an internationally recognized visual artist. <laughs> she is also a published author. She specializes in body paint art as well as chalk art, and her work has been seen all across the country as well as on season one of Netflix's Skin Wars. Her work is as bright and colorful as our spirit, and I am so pleased to welcome Mythica Von Griffin to the podcast. Welcome, Mythica. Thank you very much, Jim. Glad to finally get together. I know it's been a while. We've known yeah. each other for a long time, so I'm really thrilled to have you on the podcast. Yeah. You usually start off with an inspiration, something that uh, inspires the artists. It can be a quote, it can be uh, a piece of artwork or an artist themselves, anything, piece of music, something that you take with you, an inspiration, what have you got? That quote from Einstein that imagination is more important than knowledge. Okay, what does that mean to you? That essentially your imagination is more important than anything you know because okay. it leads to knowledge, right? Okay. Whereas knowledge has a finite end, imagination does not. Oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> imagination is more important than knowledge. Then that's a quote from Einstein. Yeah. But I would take it a step further. And in fact, I'm probably going to just quote myself on that now <laughs> and okay. say that. Knowledge has a finite end, mm-hmm. and imagination does not. Yeah, yeah. Imagination just goes and goes. Yeah. Let's get into your story and talk a little bit about how you became the artist that you are today. Share your journey, your artistic journey. Uh, my artistic journey started when probably I was about three. I remember seeing my father's artwork around the house. Okay. And... There were chalk drawings, there were uh, paintings. So art was very much around me growing up. I remember going to pre-preschool. Like, do you know the little itty-bitty chairs? The ones that are like six inches from the ground is where you sit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the tiny, tiny chairs. And the tables are low enough to hit your shin on. Yeah. Right? Uh, So I remember sitting at one of those tables... And there were these pieces of paper and little Dixie cups filled with temper paint. Okay. And we're like, okay, today we're going we're gonna to paint today. And they're like, all right, so what you're going to do is you can pour the paint anywhere you want on the paper. And then you fold the paper. Oh, yeah. So it was essentially like making your own ink blot. Yeah, yeah. Like a Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... And that was my first painting. <laughs> okay. And my my parents framed it. Oh, really? And I still have it. Isn't that great that your parents uh, they didn't supported just put, that? They yeah. didn't just put it on the refrigerator, you know. They framed it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you still have it today. So I still have it. Yeah. That's awesome. And how old were you? Three. Think three? So from three years old, did you know that you were going to be an artist? Yes. Okay. So so bring us up to today. You don't have to go through every year. <laughs> <laughs> but but how did you come to get involved in, in body painting and chalk art and things <clears> like that? Uh, one day, um, I was walking on my way to school at Metro. And I saw someone doing chalk art on the ground. And that's Metro State mm -hmm. in Denver? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, well, it's Metro State University now. That's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Metro State University in Denver, Colorado? Yep. USA. <laughs> <laughs> Planet Earth. <laughs> Planet Earth. <laughs> Solar System. <laughs> Milky, Milky Way, Way Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We all know where we are now. We're at Metro State University. And so you saw someone doing chalk art. Uh, I did. I'm uh, walking on my way to school, and one of the news stations was viewing it, and they were preparing for the weekend upcoming. And I was like that's always cool I've always wanted to try this so this guy steps out from a tree and he's just like well um you know if you're interested in trying it I always have people who don't show up so just show up on Saturday and I'll plug you into a spot you have a blank spot I'm like thank you great so I showed up and did the first one like quick I was like that was really fun I want to do another one <laughs> And uh, so the second spot that they ended sticking me in the, the sponsor for it was the Denver Botanic Gardens. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, I ended up doing the tarot card of strength where the woman is sitting under a tree with a lion. Mm -hmm. And um, I was totally hooked. And then the next year was my first official year, and I won for best use in color right out the gate. Wow. Wow. And so I did it for 10 years. It was just one of those things. It was I was absolutely in love with it. Yeah, yeah. And that was chalk art. That was chalk art. How did you get involved in the body painting? Well, during that 10-year stretch, um, I went to disguises one day, and my friend David Caballero works the makeup counter. I think I was getting supplies for the zombie crawl. Okay. And he's like, Mythica, you're an artist. Uh, why don't you try body painting? And I'm like... Well, I really don't have my own supplies. He goes, do you have brushes? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, just bring your brushes. I'll let you use some of my paint. So I went. And um, I was looking for something at that time which would marry my spirituality and my art. I really hadn't found whatever that thing was yet. And when I tried the body painting, I found that thing. Oh, yeah. And in what way? How did it, how did it match your spirituality? I found that when I painted people, they felt better about themselves. Hmm. Um, some people would actually trance out when I painted them. Mm -hmm. Like, they would really feel the energy of because I was loving so much what I was doing. And um, really going into that deep place where I'm just getting, you know, most artists call it getting in the zone. Yep. You know, yep, getting in the zone, and where you're just you're you're painting and you're listening and you're in flow and all this sort of thing, and what I would notice is the that the external person that I was painting 
was rep responding to my internal things that were going on. So like I would really feel something deep when I was making a, a stroke or a mock or something and I'd watch their eyes flutter and close and I'd watch them go in when I'd do that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is what I was looking for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So it was really powerful. For, for sure. For sure. Yeah, we talk a lot. And it's it's that word flow or zone or whatever is it's used a lot today mm -hmm. not just in art but it's used in business and it's used in in sports a lot when the yep. athletes get in the zone and it's really i think it's one of those things that um it's really important that a lot of people maybe miss or don't see or maybe they don't even know where where their zone is yeah. so i think it's really great as an artist that you touch that deep place where you you know like wow, I can feel when I'm in the zone. I feel when I'm in flow and I feel when I'm going. And so you found that in body painting. I did find that in body painting. And the other thing that's really great is that um, sometimes, not always, and sometimes more than other times, the person you're painting can go with you. Yeah, yeah. Which, like in music, right? When you are really in the flow, you can tell because your audience responds to it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they they can feel when you are also in that flow. Yeah. But it's, it's much more personal because the brush is physically on the other person, so you're actually making a physiological connection to the other person. Mm -hmm. And so you feel that flow, and, like, you can literally have the downstroke and see the person's head drop forward, eyes close, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're moving your brush like this, but you're watching their physiology change as you do that. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, uh, now, I've seen you paint uh, around around Denver, um, but that was something I had no idea, like that connection that you'd have with, with your subject. That's mm -hmm. really cool. That's really, really cool. But I'm curious, what are a couple of successes that that you've had throughout your career that really stick with you? The one award that I felt in my younger years is called the Senior, Senior Superlative Awards. And that's when your peers choose you. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. And um, I got most talented. So you, there was, you, they picked a boy and a girl yeah, most yeah. talented for the year. And I got that from my high school and that was in was that when you were in high school as a senior yeah that was yeah. that was in 1988 that speaks a lot to the power of that of being recognized by your peers versus recognized by industry professionals or other people <clears throat> well the other thing that was a big deal about that is that back in those days it was that only the popular kids got it <laughs> sure right sure. But because I was friends with the geeks and I was friends with the outcasts and I was friends with the popular kids, there were more of all the others than there were of just the popular kids. Right. So right. I was overjoyed that that was that I got that. That's awesome. Yeah. So that that one really meant a lot. Yeah. A lot to me. Yeah. And I think those kind of awards that happen in our youth or those kind of recognitions that happen in our youth really have the potential to lay the foundation. I mm -hmm. mean, look where you are today, 30 years later, successful artist, and you've embraced that most creativeness, um, which leads me to the color 
almost every time I see you, even now, you're wearing neon. <laughs> yes. Bright colors, neon red and or orange and yellow and green. And that's something that you don't often see. I mean, maybe back in the 80s, we saw a lot of that. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that. I mean, you, you, you're still embracing that today. And it's part of your distinctive look and style of, of these <clears throat> bright colors. It is. You know, I've, I've had several people be like, you know, most people just could not pull that off. But somehow you do. You know, yeah. like, it doesn't even matter. Um, I think part of it for me is that... Being at the Chalk Art Festival, there are all these bright colors that Mm -hmm. are on the ground. Mm -hmm. And they assault your senses. In fact, I wrote a poem about it. And, you know, I think one of the lines in the poem is, Why is it that when we are children, we are told that bright colors are a part or essential for our brain development? Why is it then as adults that we turn that off? Mm Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if you look in a a group of a business conference, most of the colors are gray, navy blue, and black. (laughs) Maybe tan. Yeah, yeah. Right? And if you go to some other cultures, like that Peru, for example, or Mexico, the colors are bright. Yeah. Bright, bright, bright. Primary, you know. And it's insanely colorful. Right? And I'm an artist and I'm also deeply spiritual and it's just like neon colors make me happy. Yeah. Like yeah. they they mimic and they mirror my brightness of spirit, my joy, and and just how I feel in general. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, I The same with my hats and stuff. One day, my fiancé and I will be walking around and they'll be like, Wow, that's such a cool hat! And then we'll walk around for a little more. Wow, that's such an amazing <laughs> hat! And so that day, everyone's noticing the hat. The next day... I'm still wearing a hat, maybe a different one, an outfit, and they're like, wow, your colors are so bright. Wow, you are just bright, right? And you go on, and it's my necklace, right? But it's every day, whatever day it is, it switches. And what we've come to recognize is that people are not necessarily connected into spirit, but they, they are recognizing spirit as the hat. They yeah. are recognizing spirit as the clothes. Yeah. They are recognizing spirit as the necklace. Yeah. It, it's just the focal point for which they're able to see. Because it's a pattern. Like, oh, today it's the hat day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we talked about your successes and the awards that you've had and, and mm-hmm. some of the things. What are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome along your path as an artist? One of the biggest challenges that I think any artist face has to do with pricing themselves. Okay. What is your value? What is your worth? So let me tell you where I started out back yeah, when you is, and I... Yeah, this is good <laughs> because back, that's why a lot of artists struggle with that yeah. for sure. So let, let's, start, let's start there. Okay. okay. 
when I first knew you and was going through all the struggles that I was going through, right after I graduated from college, uh, I is when I became homeless. Okay. I had nowhere to go, <clears throat> and I was basically hopping from couch to couch to couch wherever I could find. And some place, I, sometimes I was staying like at an all-night diner until. <laughs> You know, till things got warmer in the day kind yeah. of thing. And uh, I went to a poetry reading where someone was drawing with crayons. And I was yeah. like, I didn't know you could do that with crayons. Like, that's really cool. So I had my last 10 bucks. And I went to Walgreens on Colfax um, next to Pete's Kitchen. And I bought a pack of crayons and a drawing pad. And I went over to Pete's Kitchen and bought a soda because that's all I had mm -hmm. and I started doing a drawing and while I was doing because it's in the middle of the night somebody comes over and goes that's really cool can I buy that and I'm like yeah he goes how's 10 bucks I'm like that's great <laughs> <laughs> that's $10 more than I have <laughs> right yeah. yeah so that that that's the first time I that was my first value, was 10 bucks for a drawing, Okay. right? Then I had another night where there was this creative house where you could do all kinds of stuff in the house, and it was once a week, and it was one of the places that I could go crash at that place. Like, so they, did, they didn't want people to drive drunk or intoxicated, or right. right? So they were okay with people crashing there. So it was a Thursday night, and I knew I could crash there if I wanted to. So I was there, and I was doing a drawing, and this time it was an orchid I remember drawing. And somebody was like, wow, that's really awesome. Can I buy it? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, cool. Um, how does 25 sound? I'm like, huh. <laughs> 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 it sounds great, <laughs> right? So I started selling my drawings at $25 a piece. And... Uh, I was hanging out at Rooster Moon Coffee House. I don't know if you remember that down in the Golden Triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and they, uh, I had somebody who was there and talking to me, and they were like, okay, so this is how you're making a living right now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I am. And they're like, well, how much are you charging? And I'm like, $25. And they're like, well, how much do you charge for chalk art? And I'm like, well, for chalk art, that's $50 an hour. But I don't get those very often, and I usually only get them in the summer. Right. Right? And they're like, you should not be charging less for a temporary drawing what you're doing for a permanent drawing. And sure. I'm like, okay, I kind of see your logic. And they're like, well, how much did it take you to draw that teddy bear? And I'm like took me like an hour and a half okay so that original teddy bear drawing should be $75 right so I want you to start thinking about that I'm like okay that's really uncomfortable that's really uncomfortable <laughs> so I had my little portfolio thing and, and somebody asked me so how much for that drawing and I was like oh $75 and they're like that's great how much for a print? And I was like, oh, a print? Um, hmm. I don't know. I never thought of that. Yeah. I have to go look that up. Yeah. 
So it costs like five bucks for a color print. So I charged $25. So then I could have multiple prints and the original could still be $75. Yeah, yeah. So somebody who valued the original artwork could buy it. But people started buying prints and I could sell way more of those. Then it wasn't a one and done. Right, right. And it was multiple, right? And so that's how things started growing slightly. And then as I got into um, body painting, it was it was $50 an hour because it was no less than what I should be doing for chalk art. Sure. And then it became apparent that the cost of supplies made that unreasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because half of your cost was going to supplies. And, and so then I was like, and then I also heard that like every face painter on the planet was at a hundred dollars. So I was like, okay, I'm a hundred dollars. And I'm like, wow, I'm really spending too much money on like driving to a location. Like, so I should just make it 125. Right. And then the cost of supplies went up. So then I was like, okay, I need to be 150. And then I'm on Skin Wars, and other body painters were like, you cannot be the same cost as us. And I'm like, why can I not be the same cost as you? They're like, you've been on television. We haven't. Why would they hire us if they can hire you for the same price? Like, that's not fair to us. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. They're like, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) So then I was 200 and then I'm doing the transformational work and the energy work that I'm doing. And now I'm, I'm doing life changing transformational experiences. So now I'm $250 an hour. Um, but I'm making another transition. Now I am Mythica from Skin Wars season one. I'm not just, I was on a television show once. I am currently on Netflix. I am currently on television. Uh I am currently, new people are seeing me every single day. Right, right. I can't pay for the free advertising that I'm getting (laughs) on Netflix right now, right? It's pretty spectacular. And so uh, I'm also a published author, right? I have this one book, The Mantra. Uh, I have another one called The Dirty Line, which is another one I published last year. And I have two more books on the way. And, and I started, but I started off at $10. $10 drawing. <laughs> $10 yeah. drawing, right? And so it's just progressively gone up from there. So we, we started this with the question of, of a challenge that you had. Mm-hmm. And so your answer... The beginning was about money. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a topic that most artists struggle with. Mm-hmm. What kind of advice would you give to someone of like uh, how to price themselves accordingly? How to look <clears throat> at their work compared to other work that's done? It sounds like once you started to become more and more famous isn't the right word, but more and more known, you were able to compare yourself, and others were comparing you to other work. Like you said, yeah, body artists were like, oh, you've been on TV. Your work's been seen nationally, so you can't be charging the same thing that I am. No, nope. I'm just a local body paint artist, so you need to charge more. 
how do other art, how do, how does an artist determine that? What what kind of advice would you give to um, determine your price, determine your worth? Well, one of the ways to determine your worth is to look at what the market is are, is currently bearing. Okay. Okay. Like for example, I could go look on Craigslist and see what other face painters hire me as a face painter. Right. Hire me as this, hire me as that, right? Because we have Google now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can literally ask Google, what's the what is the average blankety blank artist worth charging? And you can find some article somewhere yeah. that's yeah. written somewhere that gives you that that base of information. For me, I got it just by talking to other artists and other people. The other thing, to a degree, is asking people outside of your head. Mm, You're not going to find the answer inside your head. Yeah, that's true. You're not going to find it there. Like, there is where the end decision has to rest, but that's not necessarily where the answer is. Because some people can be like, I think that this is a million-dollar painting. That's great that you have enough self-worth and value that that's what you value your your artwork as. Nothing wrong with that at all. But that may not necessarily be what the market will bear. Right, right. The other thing is also looking at what is it that the market is currently buying and seeing A, what the market will bear and B, are they actually getting that price for what they're asking? You know, so there's a relationship that's going on between artist and perceived value. Right, right. What's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned from being an artist? That self-criticism, self-doubt, and judgment are absolutely not useful. That listening and learning how to fine-tune how to listen to the best part of yourself is far more important than listening to the critical part of yourself right so follow that desire follow that need to get better yourself like I in body painting I did a 30-day challenge where I body painted every single day for 30 days and my skill growth during those 30 days was through the roof mm-hmm. what my artwork looked like at the beginning of the challenge and what it looked like at the end of the challenge was night and day yeah yeah, yeah. and I did that from my own drive to to strive towards something that'll that will get you better than any criticism what piece of advice would you give to someone who's starting out as an artist who say wow I'm really inspired by seeing your work this is what I want to do what piece of advice would you give don't compare because a lot of people is, I want to be as great as you someday. And I'm like, nope, don't do that. Uh, be as great as, as as you. Like, don't don't compare yourself to me because you haven't had as much practice at it as I have. You're comparing your where you are starting out and comparing it to where I am 40 or 50 years ahead of you. Right, right, right. You know. I'm not 50 yet, but you know, <laughs> sure. but, I'm, but I'm just saying it's like, it's like trying to compare yourself to Van Gogh at the end of his life and you just started painting. Right. I'm right. like, 
Why would you do that to yourself? Van Gogh had a whole life that he went through all these different processes before he came came up with the end result that is Van Gogh. Right. Sure. sure. Right. It's great advice. Don't compare yourself. No, don't compare yourself. Just do the things that give you joy. Practice and play with everything until you find that thing that lights you up. Say that again. Practice. Practice and play with everything until you find the thing that lights you up. That's fantastic. I like that. I think that's great advice for anybody, not just an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, we, so many people in today's world, especially in the Western world, get stuck in a job where they're just going to make the money and they're not passionate about it and whatever passion they had has been stuffed or, or killed or whatever. I think if everybody just went after their passion, whether they made money or not, you know, that it'd be such a much happier place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why should we care about art? Because art is a communication from the subconscious of humanity. If you want to know what's going on with humanity, look at art. Okay. If you want to know the secrets of the soul, go see art. Whether that's music, dance, galleries, it doesn't matter. The subconscious of humanity is trying to scream at you through it. It's trying to have a deep conversation. Art has a way of evoking that no amount of conversation can do. Yeah. It's powerful. Had to let that one sit for a second. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. We talked at the beginning about inspiration, and you you gave a quote from Einstein about imagination. Mm -hmm. Specifically artists. Name two or three artists that you're inspired by. When I was a kid growing up, the artist that I was the most inspired by was Boris Vallejo. Him and Julie Bell do calendars every year. Boris Vallejo does the fantasy art, right? Yes. The dragons and the busty women. Yep. Okay. Yep. And I remember finding them and being like, oh my God, it's like Michelangelo paintings. And I was just thrilled with them. I was fascinated with them. How beautiful they were. How just pristine they were. Like, the the technical aspects of the painting were just mind-blowing to me. And I remember taking it to my art teachers and they were going, oh my God, that's pornographic. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Because my mom used to be a a volunteer at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. So every Saturday, while she was volunteering, I would just roam the museum. Yeah, yeah. And so I was used to seeing the naked paintings that were in the museum. And nobody was going, that's pornographic. And Boris Vallejo, his at least... Like they had little bikini covers covering nipples and things, and right. it didn't have that in the museum. Right. So right. I didn't really understand how it was pornographic. Yeah. Like it just made that didn't make any that didn't make any sense to me that in art class you could say that David was classic but Boris wasn't. Right. Like that right. just it just didn't make any logical sense. That's where grown-ups are stupid. Like, <laughs> like in, you know. Agreed. Agreed. You know, yeah, if the Boris was hanging on a wall in a big. 20 by 30 foot painting it would be art but because it's in a calendar and there's 12 or 14 pages of it pornographic yeah and but uh, I was crazy super inspired by that yeah 
Um, and I remember his artwork getting darker and darker and darker each year, like with the monsters, with, with the characters and stuff, until he met Julie Bell, his wife. Okay. And then light came back to the paintings. Mm. Then they, there was warmer colors and everything wasn't so dark and gloomy anymore. And, and some of the women had like these jeweled wings, like, it's just like life came back to him in his artwork. Yeah. And you could you could see what was going on with him by looking at the artwork. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know? And you could see how love changed him and changed his artwork. So that was really awesome. So I loved Boris. Boris was... So Boris and Julie. And, Boris and Ju- uh, Julie. One other one. Anybody else? I would have to say my uncle. Okay. Uh, my uncle was crazy, super talented, and he could just, like, draw things. There's a, he drew this picture of my dad reading a newspaper, and it was all scribble, but it perfectly captured my dad's look, his feel, his energy, and then he also did an oil painting, which was classically done the way that you used to see the old portraits with the big portrait and it's a dark background mm-hmm. and you see the figure's skin is very lit but their clothes are kind of dark and he did this picture of my grandmother with her hand like this and he completely and perfectly captured her essence. Mm. Like, when I looked at that painting, I was not just looking at a painting, I was looking at my grandmother. Wow. And, and what's your uncle's name? George Jones the Third. George, shout out to George Jones III. <laughs> yes, he has passed on. Okay. Since. Well, shout out to his memory and his work. Absolutely. Yeah, his inspiration. Yeah, but, you know, he was a family member and his artwork was just incredible. And the other reason I say that he inspired me is because all of his artwork was kept in these drawers out in the garage mm. that my dad kept. So anytime I wanted, I could go out to the garage and open the drawers and there were just piles of his artwork stuffed in these drawers. And I thought that, to me, was the biggest crime. Like, I felt like it was a crime. I felt like it was a sin that the artwork was in those drawers. It was hidden away. No, who can enjoy any of that? Yeah, yeah. So there have been many times in my life where I've gone through a purging of my artwork. And I, I had a party, and I put my artwork all, all over the house, and I put down little bids, bid sheets, like make an offer. That's a great idea. And got rid of my artwork that way. And then other times I've just flat out given it away, be, being like, they're like, how can you? And I'm like, because it's just sitting in a pile in my living room and that's wrong. If you take it, then at least someone's going to enjoy it. Right, right. You know. And so um, he inspired me in a way to not let my artwork go that way yeah yeah but that's another reason why i enjoy temporary artwork like chalk art and body painting because it will never grow in a drawer do you think art should be temporary i think it is whether anyone anyone believes it or not well museums spend huge dollars to to restore artwork they do they do do stuff to restore artwork and they do do stuff to like you know even the Sistine Chapel and all those other places, you know, they have to constantly try to preserve it, clean it, make 
make it up like but let's face it any of those things are not going to be as glorious as the day it was created yeah yeah i was thinking of um podcast episode i did number 16 with uh, an artist who lives in bali an american expat who lives in bali his name is simon and uh his whole he has a place in bali called simon's art zoo big complex you would love it it's right up your alley but even though he didn't say it i'm pretty confident he paints every day and he had art everywhere every single inch of the wall was covered in art and then on the floors he would have canvases 10 12 15 canvases deep of work that he created plus he had a room that was just full of art stored just stacked and stacked and stacked and he's an older guy uh 60s 70s maybe mm-hmm. what's gonna happen when he dies you know and i thought of that of of like he, that art needs to be purged and disseminated for someone who into humanity yeah for someone who paints every single day who has a, a wealth of art that can't even really be uh calculated or, or nope. quantified in any way Getting, I think that that whole idea of purging it and and the bid or or make an offer, I think that's fantastic. It's a great thing to do to kind of clear that space, allow yourself to have new 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 room for creating new art. Mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful. Yep. Yeah. What do you hope to give the world as an artist or leave the world as an artist? As much as possible. I'm past the age that I'm going to have a child of my own. I may have a future child with my fiance Julie but my legacy has to be my artwork and my poetry and building something that is going to outlive me mm-hmm. and so legacy is very important to me and as an artist that's why I'm going to write as many books as I can I'm going to write as many poems as I can I'm going to make as many videos as I can. I'm going to create as many processes as I can to leave behind so that other people can take something of me into the future. The book called The Artist's Way. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, yeah. It's a great yeah. book. Great book. So creating my own artist's way something. Okay. Whether it's through, I mean, even this, even this podcast, right, will outlive me. Yeah. yeah. It will outlive me. We didn't talk at all about gender or sexuality, sexual preferences, but you have mentioned you have a fiance. Yeah. She's a woman. Mm-hmm. Does that influence your art at all? Uh, gender roles or, or sexual roles? Um, I think so, uh, for me, because my preference is to is to draw a woman if I'm if I'm going to do something or for things to be on the female figure unless I have an intentional purpose about something but not because it's in the forefront of my consciousness we talked a little bit about advice to artists uh, starting out what do you think holds someone back I mean you, we talked earlier I knew you when you were basically homeless mm-hmm. you, know, you did know first, me when I was first homeless. met I remember you walking into the uh, the coffee shop with the your Starbucks. cart mm-hmm. and and all your, your your whole life in a little cart and now you're a success artist uh, internationally known have worked all over the country been have on offers television. to go work internationally yeah. been on television what's one thing that holds people back when they're starting out as artists comparing 
comparing. So back to that comparing. Yeah. Just, you know, get rid of self-judgment. It's just not useful. Yeah. That's so true. That's <laughs> and so I mean, true. that's just true no matter whether you're an artist or a human being. You know, um, comparison is the killer of joy. Say that again? Comparison is the killer of joy. Comparison is the killer of joy. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So I want you to think back to uh, either 20-year-old Mythica at Metro State University or Homeless Mythica after the breakup and that painful experience. What advice would you give yourself if you had 60 seconds to go back and say, what? You're worth more than you think. Yeah. That kind of goes along with the comparing, too. Yeah. Because we th- we can we think we're less than we are by comparing ourselves to others. I love the uh, the example about the Van Gogh. Yeah. You know, unless you've lived his life, there's no way you can compare yourself to his ability or his no. artistic creativity. Or no. Or how he got there. Yeah. What yeah. kind of what kind of things that he had to go through in his life. So, what's coming up for you this year? What are you working on for the rest of the year or for 2019? Um, well, my big thing is that I'm currently editing my book, The Power of Pretend, okay. which is how after Skin Wars, uh, I completely changed myself. When I was at Skin Wars, I was probably at my heaviest. I was like size 22, so, size 22 pushing a 24, Wow. which means I was really uncomfortable in my own skin and my health was terrible. I was told that... Once Skin Wars came out, uh, people would offer me jobs for events and different things and all this kind of stuff. And actually, the exact opposite happened. Nobody called me for anything. Hmm. And um, when I started trying to ask people what was going on, uh, they said, Oh, well, since you're on Skin Wars, we figured you were already booked. Oh, well, since you're on Skin Wars, we figured you were probably too expensive now. Hmm. So nobody called me. Wow. Financially, it was the worst October I've ever had in my life. I was like, what's going on? And uh, I was using my inhaler twice, sometimes three times a day. I only had 30 puffs left. You do the math. That means I didn't have much more to go. And I was going the way of being pre-diabetic because of my weight. And uh, my blood sugar was crashing all the time. And that was part of my issues on skin wars. Like, they were like, what happens to you when you get in this brain fog? And I'm like, I'm not allowed to talk about it. And they're like, why? And they're like, because it's a production issue. What do you mean it's a production issue? It means my blood sugar is dropping and you assholes will take away time if I go eat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Not like so. Now you can't ask me. <laughs> right? And so unless I wanted the best of my life to have been behind me and everything was going to be down the hill from there... Something had to change. So I woke up one night with the idea of role-playing someone who knew how to get out of what I was in. Because obviously I had created the mess that I was in, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to get out of it, financially, health-wise, or anything else. So I created a persona to play 24-7 for a year. And she had a different relationship to money, She had a different relationship to health in my body. She didn't have all the stories that I had about how I relate to all these things. So she didn't have my hang-ups. And uh, it's another Einstein quote, right? 
you cannot solve a problem with the same mind that created it. Absolutely. And so I followed Einstein's advice and I created a different mind. Hmm. And in a year, I went from a size 22 to a 12 and I septupled my income. Nice. Septupled is seven times your income. Yes. In the course of a year. In the course yeah. of a year. Fantastic. Right? And so. And a size 12, congratulations. Thank That's you. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, the other thing that my doctor said is like the fact that I've maintained that. She goes, that's the real miracle. The losing it isn't like lots of people lose it. It's the maintaining it. Yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And so my book, The Power of Pretend, is all about my process, what I did with that, how I've done it several different times in different ways. And there are many people who may be going, I don't know who this person is that's talking right now because she has a British or something accent. And I'm like, yeah, that's part of me reinventing myself and changing my neurology and changing how I think. And all of that's in my book. And it's like, who cares? I'm happy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the funny thing is, is that my fiance happens to love accents. <laughs> so the fact that I changed it to this accent was like, she absolutely loves it. So am I going to go back to the way I talked to before? No. <laughs> In fact, I have to watch old videos to even remember what I used to sound like. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds weird to me now. My tone of voice is deeper now than it was then. It was much more high-pitched. Now I have much more deeper and resonant tones. You know, it's like when your register kind of drops in your body, that comes from a more authentic space. Mm -hmm. And so even if I didn't grow up with this accent, this is probably closer to my true voice than what I was speaking. Hmm. Interesting. So, any last thoughts or bits of advice for the Crave audience? Anything that you want to share before we wrap it up? There's brilliance found in collaboration. When you collaborate with other people in doing art and art projects, your mind is broadened by the perspectives of other people. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to enter a realm of creativity that's beyond yourself. Yeah. If you ever feel stuck, go play with somebody else. I love that. You and I have worked together a few times. I and, know. And uh, my work is always better. When, right? When, when, when you yeah. and I play together, we have come up with some really cool stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Mythic, I really appreciate you taking the time, sitting down in your hammock and <laughs> chatting with me today. And uh, great words of advice of wisdom and thoughts of advice and allowing us to look a little bit deeper into your soul and your art and uh, thank you so very much. Well, thank you for interviewing me. I greatly appreciate you being what I would call a sacred witness to my life. Thank you. Thank you so much. A huge thank you once again to Mythica Von Griffin for being on the podcast. For those of you who would like to follow and connect with Mythica on the socials, on the Twitters, the Facebooks, and the Instagrams, you can do so at I Am Mythica. Just search for her at I Am Mythica. Some magic. Some raw nerve. The music for episode 26 of the podcast is once again Denver, Colorado-based DJ Jay Adore. You can find her on all of the socials online by searching for J Adore Your Life. That's J A D O R E U R 
L-I-F-E. J-Adore Your Life. Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. And with your help, we can make that happen. So please take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts, so tell us how we can improve. Remember, always be good to one another, and of course, take time to feed your soul with art. And let the beat control your body.